I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Typically, the purpose of it is to apply cosmetics to the deceased person that's going to give the person back a little bit more of their natural coloring, which is lost in the process of their dying. This is Craig Caldwell, Managing Director of the Dodge Company, manufacturers of embalming fluids and cosmetics to the funeral industry, and the former president of the British Institute of Embalmers. He and Black Star producer Henry Barnes are talking about mortuary cosmetology, or putting makeup on the dead. You'll have family members say, I remember father because of uh, the, the ruddiness color on his cheek because we always used to walk in the woods on Sundays. Um, and so when you hear those comments, you want to make sure that Grandpa's cheeks are a little bit more ruddy looking than not. One of the things I wanted to ask you, really, we're talking now because we're making a podcast about Whoopi Goldberg, who used to be in the profession. And from what you know of Whoopi Goldberg's public persona, how well do you think she'd do at the job? I think she has a very strong respect for individual people's needs. She appreciates the fact that everybody is a different person. And I think that that would have made her probably a very good person within cosmetology and funeral service because she would recognize that everything that she did needed to be different because every individual is different. Welcome back to the Black Star Podcast. I'm Ashley Clark, programmer of the Black Star Film Season at London's BFI Southbank. The Black Star Season is a nationwide celebration of the range, power and versatility of black actors. Over six weekly episodes, we're telling the stories of six black stars and looking at how they helped shape the landscape of Hollywood and the world beyond. Last week, we focused on the mighty Pam Greer, the pioneering black exploitation icon who combined toughness, tenderness and raw sex appeal in her ascent to 70s megastardom. This week, it's the turn of another groundbreaker, a controversial and influential figure who, during a period in the 1990s, was the highest paid actress of all time. A unique screen presence blessed with major comic chops and serious dramatic prowess. Whoopi Goldberg. First time I saw you walk on back All stars have to start somewhere. A lovable misfit who saw the individuality in everyone, even the deceased. Whoopi Goldberg rose to the position of the unlikely queen of Hollywood, 
an icon of the stage and screen who would challenge her era's take on gender, race and sexuality. Garrulous, clever, funny and weird, there had been no one quite like Whoopi before. Dead people's loss was Hollywood's gain. Let's do ourselves a favour and clear the air around that name. Here's Goldberg in 1998 telling the audience at London's BFI Southbank how Karen Elaine Johnson became known as Whoopi. I'm flatulent. <laughs> and have always been. And so I would be running across the stage because I started out on the stage. And you know, when you're working in these little tiny theaters, you know, you don't have these grand dressing rooms. So you're getting past people and, you know, you don't have time to wait. <laughs> so you'd be going past somebody going, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I had to let it go. So that's how my name came about. It takes some guts to name yourself after a whoopee cushion. And the Goldberg part? Rumour has it that, for better or worse, her mother, Emma Johnson, figured that a Jewish surname would get her further in Hollywood. Emma gave birth to Whoopi in 1955 and raised her and her older brother as a single mother in a New York housing project. It wasn't long before Johnson's daughter caught the performing bug. She began acting at the age of eight in children's plays with the Hudson Guild Community Theatre and trod the boards with the NY School for the Performing Arts before quitting in the late 60s to embrace the hippie lifestyle. The thing you have to remember about that era was everybody was stoned. The police were high. <laughs> you could sleep in the parks in New York. You'd have orgies. You'd be out there, 45 people, just bodies moving and doing. You, know, you can't do that now. You know, but so when, when people say, you know, you had a tough time with drugs, I look at it quite differently. It was, a, it was a different time. It wasn't, we didn't realize that there was something wrong with what we were doing because the whole philosophy was to expand the mind and have all kinds of experiences and meet all kinds of different people. You know, there was no, I'm a junkie and I'm shooting up and I'm angry at the world. That wasn't the case. It was like, oh yeah, okay. Step on my toe, my mouth would open, you drop in the newest thing, and that's what you did. But lolling around didn't suit Whoopi. Her version of dropping out included working on the chorus line of various musicals, marrying, having a daughter, cementing her skill as a bricklayer, and doing that stint dusting up the dead. All alongside developing a heroin habit, she rounded off her first act by kicking the drugs and the marriage and moving to Southern California. It was here, in Berkeley, that Whoopi began performing monologues that formed the basis of The Spook Show, a one-woman, multi-character stand-up performance that would offer a gateway to Hollywood. I go in the confessional on Saturday, like gets on my knees and like, bless me, Father, for I have since totally been like, I don't know how long uh, since my last confession. So like, there I am in front of the little Ziploc door, okay? And like, the little Ziploc door opens up and he says, you know, what's the problem? And I go, I'm totally like PG. And he goes, are you in a movie? And like, I don't get it. He was coming from a bit of different world than some of the folks up in Berkeley. That's David Shine. An ex-boyfriend of Whoopi's, David produced her show in Berkeley. She had been uh, in San Diego rep, and she'd also been a comedian. She knew people like Robin Williams and people like that, you know, before they got famous. But she concentrated more as an actor, but she knew the comedy world. It was just before HBO and the popularization of comedy, really, 
we were kind of all in the same strange mix that we didn't know if we were avant-garde or storytellers or comedians or vaudevillians. So we didn't know who we were or where we were going. That happened later. Goldberg's show was multi-layered but accessible. She played several characters, including a dopey valley girl, a little black girl besotted by the blonde-haired pixies she sees on TV, and a morally wobbly stoner called Fontaine. She switched between them, her character's naivety allowing her to deftly pick apart the prejudices and stereotypes of the time. And my mother made me go to my room because she said this one number shirt on my hair. And I said, nah-uh, this is my long, luxurious blonde hair. And she said, nah-uh, fool, that's a shirt. And I said, you a fool, this is my hair. And she made me go to my room. The show, heralded by a Vanity Fair profile that called her the new Lenny Bruce, built a buzz and garnered Goldberg some serious Hollywood attention. Mike Nichols, director of Catch-22 and The Graduate, offered to take the show to Broadway where, retitled simply Whoopi Goldberg, it ran for four months and was broadcast by HBO in 1985. One of the bigwigs who got wind of Whoopi was Steven Spielberg. I then got a letter from them saying, you know, Stephen would like you to come up because he can't come to New York to, to see your show. Would you mind coming to L.A.? Yeah, right. Would I mind? <laughs> I'm thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. I'm thinking E.T. comes back, he meets me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure, I'll come. Sure, I'll come. So I go and I do my show. And he says it's going to be 10 people max, me and a couple of my associates. Oh, so, sure, sure. And I get there, it's like Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Ashley Simpson. There's like all these people that I wasn't anticipating. But I did my show and he walked up to me like a Hollywood movie. He said, I'm making the color purple. I would like you for the lead. You can't cuss nobody. Look at you. You're black, you're poor, you're ugly, you're a woman, you're nothing at all. You do right by me. Everything you even think about gonna fail. Released in 1985, Spielberg's adaptation of Alice Walker's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel starred Whoopi as Celie Harris Johnson, a young southerner who endures rape, domestic abuse, and the death of her sister. The film, which also starred Danny Glover and Oprah Winfrey, earned Whoopi an Oscar nomination, but irked many who saw it as a whitification of Walker's story. Spike Lee hated it saying Spielberg knew nothing about black people. James Baldwin branded it a fable for white folks. But Whoopi was having none of it. She defended Spielberg's version of the story. People got very pissed off that he would have the balls to make it. Of course, not realizing that no one else wanted to. Because it wasn't like they didn't investigate other people, you know, because everybody wanted it to be made by a black filmmaker. But nobody wanted to finance it. Nobody wanted to touch it. And Stephen felt that this was an important story. And yeah, a lot of stuff came out of the book that is, you know, didn't, what didn't make it to the movie, because his feeling was, I'm not ready to show middle America y'all making out and making love. I'm not ready to do that. But I am ready to bring the story forward. So in doing that, he turned quite a few people on to the book who would never have bothered to read it because they had no idea what it was and had heard that it was a black story and that meant it couldn't 
possibly affect their lives. You couldn't explain this to the group that went berserk over it. Goldberg's brilliant, sensitive performance in The Color Purple highlighted just how much of a breath of fresh air she was in a cinematic era that prioritized grunting machismo. Yet greater exposure left Whoopi more exposed. Like many black actors before her, she faced criticism from the community for taking roles that played up to stereotypes. Whoopi took it in her stride, but she struggled to find parts that did her individuality justice. So, years down the line, she ended up playing a kindly nanny in Karina Karina, and a kindly housekeeper in Clara's Heart. Same old, same old, says Maya Mask, professor of film at Vassar College. Throughout her career, she struggled with this, as wanting to be seen as a performer, as an actress, as a comedian, and get qual again, get quality and substantive roles regardless of her race. But that was always really difficult. I think she struggled with an industry that didn't want to recognize her talent as a broad-based talent, but wanted to see her uh, in a particular niche. It didn't help that the role for which Whoopi would win an Oscar was something of a neo-mammy. Oda May Brown, Goldberg's character in the supernatural romance Ghost, is a Ouija board wielding con artist. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...who poses as a medium to help Patrick Swayze's spirit contact his wife played by Demi Moore, from Beyond the Grave. Don't you take the Lord's name in vain with me. You understand? I don't take Would that you relax? Man. No, you relax. You're the dead guy. You want me to help you? You better apologize. Like most of Whoopi's roles, Oda is wisecracking and quick-witted. But there's a distinct whiff of black best friend to the part. She's exotic and sensational, weird and wonderful. So is Whoopi, of course. But you'd hope for more than a dumbed-down version of her Whoopiisms for an actor of such range. Hollywood, then, as now, found it difficult to entertain the idea of anyone, but particularly a black actor, colouring outside of the lines. As an actor, Whoopi had to Trojan horse her art and politics into her films. As a comedian and cultural commentator, however, she could use her fame to challenge the status quo. 
For example, here's Whoopi talking about her frustration at racial categorizations. Rosa Parks did not sit on that bus and get arrested and go to jail so somebody could hyphenate American. Three little girls did not get blown up in that church so someone could hyphenate American. I'm not an African. I've been in South Africa. They laughed me out. <laughs> they said, we're glad to see you, but you know. <laughs> I say it because Sidney Poitier, walking down the street, there's Sidney Poitier, there's Harry Belafonte, there's Whoopi Goldberg. All three of us visually are African-Americans, period. Julie Brown walks down the street visually. She's an African-American. It means no one has to take the time to ask you a damn thing. They don't have to get to know you. They don't have to talk to you because they have already decided that's what you were. I want everything under the Constitution. I want everything that those forefathers wrote. I want everything that's in the Bill of Rights that I'm entitled to, not as an African-American, not as a Polish-American, not as a Jewish-American, but an American. And the minute you put something in front of that, it means they don't have to pay attention. They don't have, and it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. When she was offset, let loose, she could be a radical. She wasn't just telling jokes, she was speaking truth to power. That's journalist Nelson Abbey, the author of From Coon to Tycoon, a chapter on black comedy stars in the BFI Black Star Compendium. So when you think of things such as Nancy Reagan's great Just Say No speech, it was Whoopi Goldberg who really crystallised the, the perfect response to it, which was something to the effect of, if you're a mother, you've got six children, you're getting about $300 a month in welfare payments, and then one of those children is bringing back $15,000 or a week or so, it's a little bit difficult to tell to turn around and just say no. So it put it in context, that, that perfect context of actually just being, not just being funny, but also being factual, and also actually telling the story of people who probably would be able to tell a story for themselves. That's the role of the black comedian. That's the role that Whoopi really, truly captured perfectly in the 1980s. In that Reagan era of glitz, glamour and capital, Goldberg was one of a precious handful of edgy, lightning-quick black comic talents with roots in stand-up, making an impact on the big screen. They were inspired by the brilliant and fierce Richard Pryor, who had emerged from the comedy circuit to break through in movies in the 1970s. He made a fine foil to Gene Wilder in comedies like Silver Streak and, like Goldberg would, proved his dramatic chops in dramas like Paul Schrader's Blue Collar. But Pryor found solo superstardom harder to crack in the 80s, with little material to match the magnitude of his talents. Consider the truly bizarre, unsettling comedy, The Toy, from 1982, in which he plays a man who is literally purchased as the plaything for the child of a Louisiana millionaire. I want him. He's not for sale. Why not? Because he's a person. Daddy said anything I wanted, anything in the store. You can't buy a human being, Eric. Well, why not? Pryor, though, had paved the way for the decade's biggest black star, Eddie Murphy, who became a smash hit in his teens on Saturday Night Live before striking box office gold and global stardom. His success made the idea of the black megastar conceivable again. She's working at a time when 
Eddie Murphy's uh, comedies, uh, chief among them, uh, Trading Places, 48 Hours, and then the Beverly Hills Cop movies have just skyrocketed. That's Maya Mask. So it creates uh, some space to entertain the idea of, well, what if we could have a female Eddie Murphy, you know? And in some ways, she was the the person who could fill that void to uh, be a comedian that could, and, and a figure with a trickster figure within the film that could menace the dominant discourse, that could challenge, you know, the binaries, that could um, upset uh, the social order and call attention to some in, inequalities. After her Oscar for Ghost. Whoopi's biggest successes came in the Sister Act films, a pair of flamboyant, feel-good comedies based on a high-concept Hollywood premise. Goldberg played Dolores, a Reno lounge singer who has to pretend to be a nun to evade the clutches of the mob. The Sister Acts were a world away from the personal stories Whoopi wanted to tell, but they were incontrovertible evidence of her star power. By the time Sister Act rolled around, she'd ascended to single-name star status. Above the title on the poster was one word. Whoopi. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. Come on, make me believe what you're saying. Can we waken this up a little? Well, yeah, if you think you can. Okay. Deanna. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. Given their talents, Murphy and Goldberg might have been equally famous. But, says Mask, another age-old inequality came into play. There are clear limitations for her. I, I, would, I feel like she was probably not even given the same kind of clout uh, in her career that Eddie Murphy was given to make films later on, right? I mean, he ultimately, even though he, you know, some of his later films weren't doing well, went on to make uh, The Clumps and, you know, all of those Nutty Professor films. Uh, and I wonder if, uh, as a woman, Goldberg would have been given that same free reign. It's not like Whoopi lacked for ideas or was short of stories to tell. Her personal slate included the stories of Madame C.J. Walker. She was the woman who created makeup and skin products for black folks. Bessie Coleman. The first black aviatrix who predates Amelia by about three years. And Valida Snow. The fabulous trumpeter who had one of the best swing bands and was the only black female to be held in a concentration camp in Germany. All still on the shelf. Maybe one day. Is Whoopi a one-off? If so, it's an observation that causes mixed feelings. On the one hand, she's a rare talent who has enriched many lives with her characteristic wit, energy and magnetic personality. On the other, Whoopi's status forces us to consider the relative absence of black female comedians who have enjoyed comparable success on the big stage. Then look at the treatment Leslie Jones received. A black comedian who was inspired by Whoopi Jones had the gall to appear as part of the ensemble in the new all-female Ghostbusters. Racist abuse, sexist abuse, a hounding on the internet that drove Jones, no wallflower, to quit Twitter for a spell rather than face all that hate. This is what comes with being a prominent black female comic in America. Whoopi, also active on Twitter, gets her fair share of strife. Yet she's become, if anything, 
more vocal in her politics as she's got older. In 2007, she snagged a gig as moderator on the femme-centric chat show The View. It's here, away from the cinema as a mainstay of cable TV, that a new generation is becoming familiar with Whoopi. Her role on the show is, argues Nelson Abbey, vastly significant. Getting that black female comics perspective is very, very rare because black female comics aren't really that many, particularly not on that level. So seeing Whoopi every single day in mainstream America, not just on The View, but dominating the panel of The View, it is, it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. And it's also it's so critical. It's critical to the voice of black women and black people in particular. Maybe unique is a better term than one-off. We have to hope that there will be black stars like Whoopi again. Whoopi, the dropout, the hippie, the comedian, the star, sets a template for anyone who strives to be as good at being themselves off-camera as they are at being somebody else while it's on. She showed that people could really transcend type and move from one label to another label. That was David Shine. You know, she's not just a black comedian and she's not just a feminist and she's not just a radical and she's not just an actor and she's political and she's a writer and she paints and, you know, that you can do anything and you don't have to be, you're not cast. There's no casting agent in the sky. You know, you cast yourself and put it out to the world. And here's Whoopi, confident in herself as ever. They kept saying to me, you know, your face is not... You know, it's not going to launch any ships. This is what I heard the first couple of years I was in Hollywood. You know, you're not beautiful. We have to figure out something to do with you. As it turns out, I turned out to be quite lovely. Thank you for listening to the Black Star Podcast. We're back next week to round off our series by asking, what makes a modern black star? Hi all, Black Star producer Henry Barnes here with your credits. The Black Star podcast is co-written and hosted by Ashley Clark, co-written and produced by Henry Barnes, with additional production from Peter Sale. This Whoopi Goldberg special included short clips of the following. Whoopi Goldberg, direct from Broadway, directed by Thomas Schlammer, and released in 1985 by Vestrum. The Colour Purple, directed by Steven Spielberg, and released in 1985 by Warner Brothers. Ghost, directed by Jerry Zucker, and released in 1990 by Paramount Pictures. The Toy, directed by Richard Donner and released in 1982 by Columbia Pictures. And Sister Act 2, directed by Bill Duke and released in 1993 by Touchstone Pictures and Buena Vista Pictures. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.